welcome back to the Blossom Like Eden channel. Whether you're listening through our podcast today or you're on YouTube or Facebook, we want to welcome you here. I'm Sarah Brandt. And I'm Svea Braun. And we are going to dive in to chapter three, The Fullness of Identity. And we're just building off our last week's two-part series on chapter two, The Fullness of Rest, where we really talked about how uh, our purpose is not in what we do, it's in who we are in the entire journey of yeah. our lives. So good. And replicating, right? Yeah. It was about what do we replicate, uh, our family mandate to replicate Christ. And his journey was a journey of rest. And we can, as women in the body of Christ, can replicate rest. I'll include men too, because, you know, yes, <laughs> it isn't just for women. <laughs> as men and women, as families of God, as daughters and sons of God, are we replicating him and his rest and identity or striving in busyness and obviously we're working towards the rest yeah right so it's a perfect place to build on this whole topic of being in Christ and living in this oneness and so we're gonna dive into identity today and this is really your position in Christ mm. and position being keyword our position in Christ and so the beginning of the chapter I start by sharing this shift I felt in my relationships as I was beginning to live from this one um, this oneness this intimacy with Christ I could feel the shift in my relationships and people starting to pull away dealing with a bit of rejection and so I wanted mm. to start with this whole concept of our lives our identity having a pillow barricade so that. to speak around <laughs> us where we <laughs> fill our identity holes with things like motherhood uh, ministry, Job. jobs, addiction, relationships, relationships. Boyfriends. there you go. And it can feel really comfortable until something shakes us up and mm. these holes are left empty. And unless you fill those holes with what God has meant for them to be filled with, um, you can be left in this state of unknowing and doubt mm -hmm. and really this deep loneliness is what I was experiencing mm. here. So. Tell me about this loneliness. Like you say loneliness, was it because you were you were finding yourself with a lack of, of connection with friends? Was that mainly how, how that kind of manifested your life? Yeah, I felt as though I was rejected. And reject, rejection is a painful experience when you aren't standing yeah. in your identity placement. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's something that makes you feel like you need to push it away and you need to quickly fill those holes again. Mm -hmm. And it can leave you questioning everything about yourself, about your character, about what you've contributed. It just leaves you in this state of not knowing really what to do with these emotions. Yeah, it's true, I think, because I think rejection, sorry to interrupt no, you there. No. <laughs> I feel like rejection is, it's a pushing away. It's a kind of mm -hmm. like, I don't want you. It's a message of, I don't want you, or I don't want what you have or carry. And so, um, I don't, we weren't meant as humans to, I think, endure or receive that message. Yeah. But it's really interesting. We were talking a few minutes ago about the fact that um, Jesus was rejected. Yeah. All of the apostles, uh, the disciples becoming apostles, those that spread the good news were rejected. And Jesus told his disciples, you will be rejected. So that's interesting because we would, in our own humanness, look at rejection as a really bad thing, something to avoid, and something that brings so much pain that you don't want to experience it. And yet Jesus is saying, you're going to, which I think even in some, in some regards, you know, you go to maybe a missions conference or you hear something, and again, not to criticize any teaching, but people are just saying, you know, expect it, you're gonna get rejected and rejoice when you get rejected. 
And it's almost like you're like, steal yourself up because it's going to happen. Be prepared for something really awful to come at you and then rejoice. And you're kind of like, how am I supposed to do that? Someone pushes me away, says they don't want anything to do with me, and I'm supposed to rejoice inside. But what Jesus, I believe, was trying to communicate was that there's a place in your stable standing. This thing Sarah's constantly getting at in her book. I love that. I was telling her, I love that that verbiage of stable standing in identity as a child of God, where when someone tries to push you away and say, I don't want you, you aren't like, woohoo, this hurts so bad and I'm somehow supposed to like it. That's not the message. No. That's the human worldly interpretation. But the interpretation in the kingdom, the way the Father sees things, is he says, you are still standing stable in my love and acceptance of you. And that is what matters most. That is the core of your being. So you can actually never truly be rejected. Because if I don't reject you as your father, you can't be. You are never a mistake. You are, I never push you away. So for a human, something in the world to send that message at you, it's almost like a dust bunny. It's like fluff. It, it, it has nothing. It really can't push you over. You know, you see those little like um, bobblehead, like those things you can push, those toys that you like, they're on these like paperweights and you're like ba-boing and they come right back up ba-boing. It just, it's, there's nothing. When you are yeah. grounded in that kind of stability, there's nothing. But to add to that, this, the pillow barricade, a brilliant visual. When I was reading it, I started thinking about sumo suits and I don't know how many of you have seen, probably everyone by now, those big plastic clear or like skin colored, flesh colored bubble suits that you go and do at parties in the park where you get inside this giant suit and the idea is to sort of wrestle or fight someone, but there's no way you can break your neck or break a bone because you're literally covered in this giant blown up ball. But it's also super awkward. You really can't move around very easily. You lose all of your flexibility and agility. You're basically just protected but immobilized <laughs> so I feel like that visual also really correlates with that emotional state that you were experiencing and that we all do that I've done where and I told you before my ministry my the missions I was doing the people I was counseling I have a certification in counseling and I was doing some inner healing prayer and counseling with people all through my 20s and but that was all that filled an identity needed in me to be needed to as my this was my place this was my ministry this was my impact on the world again back to that my purpose my cardboard tree creating my life here with look at my pasted on fruit and all of that was like a sumo suit so it may have protected me from feeling um on the outside the pain of rejection maybe should someone not understand or not want me it gave me that sense of like insulation, hmm. but it also kept me from true connection and intimacy with the very person who wanted to give me stability. Yeah. A sumo stew's not stable. Someone knocks you over, you go literally like rolling. You're like, oh, you know, I think I literally can pee my pants laughing about things like that. <laughs> but it, you aren't stable. It's true. So you are have a, a feeling, a counterfeit feeling of being protected. That sumo suit, actually, if you were to like pop it with a pin, it would deflate and you wouldn't really be protected at all. So what kind of protection is that? What kind of stability yeah. is that? And that's really so. what I was searching for at this point because I had 
seen people's testimonies and I, I had witnessed stability um, mm. where things came, my, came people's way and their treasure was still the Lord and they weren't knocked over like I was. But when my ministry and my people groups changed, it was like I just didn't even know who I was anymore. And I wanted God to teach me, what does it mean that my identity is in you? Mm -hmm. And I needed to ask for help, like we've been talking about yeah. all this time. I needed to ask him for help. I needed him to, to teach me what it meant, you know, that my identity was rooted in him. And that circumstances could change, but it wasn't going to knock me down. That's the place I wanted to be. That's how I wanted to live in him. And so he began to teach me that there were two parts to understanding our true identity in him. And the first part was the fact that we were righteous and that I carried righteousness. And mm. this seems so easy and we've heard it. We have been told our sins are wiped away, we're free and we're clean. Um, but there was something that I was doing that wasn't working out for me very well. I wasn't understanding that concept and literally everywhere I went, I was lugging around suitcases full of my own shame and condemnation. And like, not allowing God to take them from me. Something mm. in my humanness wasn't yeah. able oh, to yeah. connect to this fact that I was righteous in him. And I needed God to renew my mind and give me a new understanding of what that meant. And so he just wanted to tell me that I was blameless and I needed to ask for help. And so bringing my shame, my condemnation all around with me, um, kept me quiet and it kept me in a corner and it kept me doing for God and it, it really was like a filter I was looking at everything through and God just wanted to tell me that he had taken it hmm. all from me and I was beginning to do things like forge ahead and study certain character traits we've talked about this you know I'd study books on selfishness and just now I'm gonna work on being selfish and not, selfish, not being selfish. not selfish <laughs> and I'm gonna study this book and I'm gonna do better in this and God was just like hand me those suitcases you know yeah. all these things you're working on there isn't anything you need to do in order for me you know to love you and be close to you and give you this position as my daughter mm -hmm. other than stay in intimacy with me and as you walk in intimacy with me I'm changing the bits about you yeah. that seem to hang you up so oh. put aside those self-help books and just yeah. <laughs> look at me. Look in my eyes, girl, Yeah, because yeah. I'm changing you from the oh. inside out. And those changes can't be reversed. So. That, is, that is so good. I was just looking here thinking um, about how in James it talks about like being double-minded. I was trying to find it here. It's in the first chapter of James. Uh, I'm going to find it here. I'm going to just leave it because I, I know what I want to say and I'll find it and we'll maybe post it and add it on the comments below the video just because I want to make sure to ground us all in the truth of God's word. But James talks about being double-minded and he talks about being driven and tossed by the wind, mm. like needing wisdom and asking for wisdom, but being double-minded. And this double-mindedness, I think, is, is a way that I would interpret and describe what Sarah and I are talking about when we talk about carrying around this luggage with us, when we are saved, our true identity is stable in Christ. We are pure before him. We are holy before him. We are perfect. We are seen like Jesus, exactly like Jesus before our father. Mm -hmm. And yet this filter is, is inter it's like we're seeing 
clouded. It's like those glasses that put things, you know, you have these big spots and we're seeing something that is not there. Yeah. So we're seeing and we're thinking, I need to carry this around. I need to carry this with me. And, and the problem is when we're carrying a thought around or an idea around with us, it's going to filter into all of our actions because thoughts become emotions, become actions, become motivations. And it just is the cycle. Yeah. And so we get tired and, and you can have someone say, you know, don't hold on to that stuff. It's like denying that the cross and it's like you're rejecting God's offer. Oh my gosh, that's a little intense and harsh. And while that may be true, I don't think that's anyone's heart no. that, would, that would be in this position. We feel a bit helpless, right? We feel helpless in that we, we hear someone say, you are new in Christ. You're perfect. God loves you. And yet our vision is still clouded by these thoughts of what we've done. And it just seems too good to be true. And there's always an accuser and a deceiver mm -hmm. with those little fly lies that we talked about like months ago in one of our videos, those flies come by and it's just like, no, you still remember you did that stuff. What makes you think you can now, you know, encourage that teenager? You did the same terrible stuff that they're doing. Like, why should they listen to you? And those things degrade us. But I had a really neat picture and I was actually looking for it. I found it. This is when I first went through Sarah's book last spring, my first go through of the actual book in print, not the manuscript, the real book. <laughs> I was taking notes and on this chapter, this idea of um, being blended with Christ, compatible with him, in oneness with him, in communion with him, which we talked about last week and, and when we discussed rest and that blended idea sitting on that and meditating on that is actually a really good anecdote and a, and a way of shifting our mindset so that our mind matches up with the truth of our position in Christ. Mm -hmm. We cannot change our behavior. We cannot even change our own mind on our own without God's help. So this is not to make you feel condemned. If you're like, I want to believe this, but I don't know how, ask for his help. Mm -hmm. Shifting your mind is like if we are in Christ, we acknowledge like Christ's death is like a filter. Christ's death becomes this, this, this filter between us and God. We have us and God and Christ said, I'm the mediator. Like be yeah. united with me. So we become united with Christ in his death. The word says we become united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. So we go down and all of our sin goes down. And when we come up, we go through the filter of Christ. And now we are just like him, holy and perfect. All the little pebbles, the rocks, when you think of a smoothie, all those little raspberry seeds. When you're, when you're um, putting something through a sieve, it catches that stuff. And Christ's death and his work on the cross is that sieve. Nothing can come through. When we identify with him, we also come through that veil, that veil of death and resurrection and purification. So we now stand with Christ, blame-free, shame-free. Nothing can come through. And when we, when we have visuals like that, and when we align our thoughts like that and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to keep our mind in that set of truth, mm -hmm. then all that junk that was left behind in Christ, all those, those pre, I want to call them pretend because they aren't real anymore. They, ha, they hold no weight. Those, that luggage, that baggage, those accusations coming at us as we're walking, trying to walk in this newness, we realize that's all left behind in that gunky filter. 
You ever cleaned out a gunky filter like in your sink? The filter in my house with four girls and one mom, five women in the bathtub, hair drain filter, gross. <laughs> what if I were to carry it around all that hair and say, it's my hair, like it belongs to me. I probably have to carry it around. It's like, no, that filter has taken all that hair yeah. and Christ's death is taken all of our gunk and junk and sin so that we can walk, so that we can flow freely. We can yeah. flow purely, yeah. rightly. Yeah, and when I finally, when God finally began to renew my mind to this concept, I felt different physically and mentally. Yes. Like physically and mentally, I felt different. I walked different. I thought different. I spoke different. Um, but it took that renewing of, of my mind. And something God told me, uh, and that was really key to me, is that when I was in an intimate relationship with God, he'd never tell me, and if I made a mistake, he'd never say, you did that again. Mm -hmm. You know, he was always calling me up higher to how he saw me, and how he saw me was perfect and blameless like Jesus. And all yeah. of Jesus' characteristics were, were now mine. And I think sometimes we feel like we need to forge ahead and try and fix ourselves on our own, and there's things we're struggling with, but really God's saying there isn't anything we need to grow to do to grow into his likeness except to keep in an intimate relationship with him. And a verse that um, often people refer to when they're like, you're a Christian, so you should have lots of fruit in your life, is Galatians 5.22. But we're missing it. He removes the lies of shame so we can flourish in who we really are. And then the spirit in us does the work. Mm -hmm. And so really Galatians 5.22 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Mm -hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we actually can't produce these characteristics so in our true. own strength. And so what, what God is asking for us as, as his daughters is to stay in this intimate relationship yeah. with him, finding our belonging in him. And in our intimate relationship with him, he's he's changing those things, and those things can't be reversed once, once his touch is on So them. good. I'm so glad you read that because I was actually just looking at Philippians 1.6, mm -hmm. which is also speaks to that and the fact that we're sometimes harder on ourselves than he is, thinking, again, that we it's up to us to do this. Yeah. You, and Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He did not say, he began the work, now you be faithful to complete it. It said, it is his work, he will do it. And there's scripture after scripture, if you're reading the word, which is why it's so good to get into the word and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, help me. We do that every time we open the Bible in our house. We try to ask, even a simple, sometimes it literally is just, open my Bible, help me, Holy Spirit. We invite the one who's called to teach us to help us, and believing that he will, and we see this and we go, oh, thank you. You started this good work. You will be faithful to complete it. I can rest in that. Yeah. I don't have to try harder, do more, change my own mind, change my own behavior, understand identity, get myself, let go of all my luggage. Like, yeah. you're wanting to do this. So I agree. Yes, I agree. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, and it just goes back to what does God require of us but to love him yeah. and to love others. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. You know, we love him. He isn't asking us to become angelic perfection or to throw no. off our humanness. He's like, be human, be my kid, love me. And as you love me and love others, I'm working in you and I'm changing you to be like me. 
And so, so I think, good. yeah, we'll leave that as part one of our identity talk. And we're going to come back with part two um, when we discuss stability as a daughter and how, where we find our belonging in this kingdom family. And so maybe I'll just pray. Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you just require us to love you, Lord. We just ask today for this renewing of our mind to this new concept, God, and the full and deep understanding of our righteousness in you. Mm -hmm. How this filter of Jesus has made us blameless, Lord. I pray that listeners who are carrying around any shame or condemnation or filling their identity holes with things and places, leaving them with an unstable view of their identity, God, that they would begin to just ask you for help, mm -hmm. for a renewal of their mind, that all you're asking is for them to stay in this intimate place with you, God, and you're changing them. Mm -hmm. You're moving within them, God, and there's nothing left for them to do but to stay in that intimate relationship with you, God, nurturing that space and loving you with their whole heart. So God, we just thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that you are willing to go to the trenches for us. You're willing to go through this with us. You're willing to teach us and help us if only we should ask.